Oh, let me move the. Hold oh, one second. Ah, because I want that. to do it like. Are you you, can, you can put your finger there if you want. America. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen him after the Joe Biden speech. The, which one? Like when, like, when Joe Biden gave that speech at the beginning, and he was like, "If anyone wants to." mess with Israel. I got one word for you. Don't. And like, I was all like fucked up emotionally that day. And then Dora was just like, all right, I don't want to talk about your new age hippy dippy shit. Like America's in the fucking house. I watched, <laughs> I watched the concert. But also classic Joe Biden. He didn't even say one word. He goes, if anybody wants to mess with Israel, listen to one word. Don't, don't. <laughs> he had to say it twice. It's like, it's, if you're going to say one word, say it once. <laughs> don't, don't folks. I'm not joking around. <laughs> I'm not kidding, folks. No one thinks you're kidding. You're talking about a war and you're the president. You don't need to be. This is not, this is no joke. Nobody thinks you're here on a comedy tour. It's confusing. I love him, but he's I'm confused. Today's episode is brought to you by ZahavJewelry.com with one app. Hi, welcome to October 7th, Emotionally Raw Coverage. From Dora Comet and me, Amy Sapan. Today's January 16th. It's the 102nd day of the war. And joining us here in Dora's apartment on this very sunny Tuesday afternoon is Ben Glebe. Hi, Ben. Welcome. Hi, Amy. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be indoors when it's so sunny. It's been raining a lot of the time I've been here. So I'm glad as soon as the sun cleared up, I'm just sheltered inside. Uh, we'll we'll get you out of out into the sun in no time at all. Um, no rush, no rush. <laughs> Ben's a comedian, news anchor, writer, satirist, actor, voiceover actor, podcaster, human, former presidential candidate, and more. Ben does a lot of different things. He likes it that way. He also has ADHD. A fearless stand-up comedian who speaks his truth with an unyielding confidence and a bold yet silly and self-effacing humor. Ben's viral videos have more than 300 million views, including... 500 now. Oh, wow. 500 Sorry million? Sorry to interrupt my own bio. Go ahead. Oh, no. That's great. Please do. Like, I really love this one. Your video with Charlie Kirk, <laughs> <laughs> the anti-abortionist, anti-choice, where you showed him a dolphin fetus and he thought it was a human embryo. Uh, seven seasons on Chelsea Handler's Chelsea Lately over on E! Four seasons of his hit game show, Idiotest, over, it's not going to be 400 episodes on television. It's probably higher than that now. That's probably like 430 by now. That grows a little bit slower. Ben always has something new to make us think and make us laugh. And currently, as many of our listeners may know him, one of the lead anchors on The Young Turks, the longest running online news and politics talk show, where he has his own video series for them twice a week called Rebel HQ, sharing his hilarious and blistering take on the world with over 8 million views in just the first six months. Ben provided election night coverage for ABC News in 2016 and even ran for president in 2020. His new critically acclaimed hour stand-up comedy special, The Mad King, has drawn comparisons to his biggest inspiration, the true goat, greatest of all time, George Carlin, even from Carlin's own daughter. The special is available for free on YouTube. I highly recommend it. And his Showtime hour stand-up special, Neurotic Gangster, trending on Twitter when it premiered, is now on Amazon Prime and is also available for free on YouTube. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. 
I'm excited to have me here after hearing that bio. <laughs> Normally, I don't, I don't ever hear my own career read back to me. That that was emotional for me. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I can you I read it again? Cherry- <laughs> <laughs> I had to like cherry pick. I mean, there's so many more things. I'm frankly blown away. And also I feel comforted as someone who is kind of jack of all trades, master of none. But a lot of people don't know the end of that saying, which is still better than a master of one. Oh, I did not know that because mm-hmm. I often feel exactly that. And I feel sometimes not happy that I'm not the master of any, but, but I appreciate the end of that better than being the master of one. It really changed my life when someone told me it last year. So I like passing it on. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. I, I just do okay at a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'd hardly say just okay. There's so much I want to get into with you. And I want to start by saying thank you. I couldn't sleep last night again, like anyone sleeping normally these days here. And I was watching more of your videos online. And honestly, you have so much hair on your head. I don't know how you (laughs) haven't pulled it all out already. (laughs) You're on the Young Turks, you're on these panels, and you're fighting the good fight for all of us. And someone the other day said, I'm so sorry, like you're out there. It must be so hard. And I was like, oh my God, you're in California. I feel like that must be really hard. I don't know. And she was like, well, where do you think it's worse? And I was like, at least here, I don't feel super isolated or like I'm going out of my skull. So thank you for everything that you're doing. And you're doing it with such grace and you're doing it with humor, which is, you know, the best medicine. That's very kind of you. Thank you. You know, I think it's it doesn't compare to being here, but on the isolation point, that, that is true. It does feel very much like you're alone and you really have to find the people who are on the side of the Jewish people and the Israeli people these days. And that's been very disheartening and difficult and challenging, but also really inspiring and communal and warm when you do find it. And I've connected more to my Judaism and to my community and my culture than I ever have in my life since October 7th. So if there can be any silver lining during such difficult times, I guess that's one of them. That's really beautiful. In The Mad King, I believe you characterize yourself as you know, like someone who's super woke and getting more woke all the time. <laughs> and the Said right, somewhat sarcastically. Okay. And, you know, that the Young Turks is progressive left show. And I mean, I, I think in the first month I posted something on Facebook, like I'll never forgive some of you like people out there. Cause now I'm watching news nation of all things. Like, <laughs> which I s- go on often. <laughs> Yeah, like I I personally am, what, 38 years old. I was in college when Bush was in office and I, my dad is a Trump supporter, watches Fox News, Die Hard. So I've had like a front row seat um, and I find myself watching Fox News sometimes like, well, uh, yeah, I kind of agree. Do you, are you having, a, I mean, not only, are you having this moment where like your media tastes are changing or that you're kind of reconsidering or I guess your your membership card in the progressive left or are people telling you like, Ben, you're not as progressive or leftist as you think you are? All of that is happening. I've found myself having to tune on, turn on Fox News for the first time without anger, <laughs> actually with appreciation for them being the only network that seems to get the importance of what's going on and the Israeli perspective that I think is not just clear as can be the 
morally correct perspective here. And yeah, I, I've always hated these labels. I've always hated the membership cards. So I've never, I've, I've generally been very reluctant to even call myself like I'm on the left or I'm progressive. I just don't, I think labels, as we can see, even in this ongoing conflict are so much of what, what create problems and divide people. I don't think it's necessary most of the time. I think that those things should be the the spices of life, the flavors of life that kind of just, you know, seasoned to your taste, but should not be the defining factors or the things that are our major identifiers. But to whatever degree we do have to be in those boxes because it helps people understand where you are. I have identified, you know, as a progressive and as a liberal, and I am those things. I think it's not that I'm leaving the progressive left, I think that a lot of them are leaving me because they are lazily falling into a ridiculous misunderstanding of things that are actually harming the people who are most at risk. And the short-term thinking is mind-boggling and the knee-jerk reaction of people that are willing to throw an entire people, an entire nation, an entire hope for the most persecuted people of all time, the Jewish people under the bus is just so disheartening and heartless. And I've seen so many of them not be open to conversation, blocking and trying to get me taken off the air and saying, why do you still have him on the Young Turks? And and people I've been, you know, buddies with for a long time, blocking me mid, at the beginning of just very calm conversations about this, trying to seek out understanding. It's been you know, that those are certainly not progressive values to to block off, to not be open, to not hear the words of a marginalized group. And it's just been so strange to see people who are so typically compassionate towards any minority group, towards any of their perspective, any of their pain. And when it comes to the Jewish people, I always thought, Claims of anti-Semitism were overblown and were like in the heads of my grandparents. And I've seen that I was wrong. It's really weirdly true and sadly true. And so I don't know that I've changed as much as I think some people are just not using their brains. And I don't think a whole movement needs to be thrown out by people with soft, tiny little brains. I loved what you were saying about how there's a dearth of nuance now. Ariella Carmel, who was on episode 35, the one before this one, in one of our conversations, she was talking to me about how wild it is that intersectionality came about with this hope that people would develop more nuance, that they would look at the world with more compassion, more empathy, um, more of an appreciation of the complex. And we've moved so far away from that, strangely from the same camp that's been studying intersectionality in a way. And we have like these young generations that are like all up in a tizzy about everything from pronouns to like the kind of milk or the plastic packaging, but seem to be like, oh, well, rape is resistance. That's cool. I mean, it's truly mind-boggling because just like you said, it's like even microaggressions are considered the worst offense to any other minority group. If you 
if your tone of voice is the wrong way towards a black person, if you roll your eyes towards a gay person, or the, if your eyes turn the wrong way and make them feel slightly uncomfortable, you're a horrible human being. But calling for the genocide of the Jewish people, eh, it depends on the context. Did you say it angry or did you say it kind of fun? Did you call call for genocide? You're like, maybe we should kill them with like a really fun sing-songy voice. Were you actually committing genocide during the march? Were you... How many did you kill? It depends. If it's 10 or less, maybe it's acceptable. You're kind of just dabbling. I mean, it's very, very strange. And trying to find the humor in it is hard. But if you don't laugh at some of this, you're going to cry just constantly because it's just very perplexing to have your sense of what right and wrong is and others' perception of that just be thrown out the window for these last three-plus months. It's very weird. I love what you just said. I want to take it in two directions. One direction is in terms of like trying to make sense of it. A lot of us are trying to make sense of it. And at some point I just kind of like abdicated that pursuit. I was like, you know, you can't make sense from something nonsensical. Where do you, are you, are you looking for explanations? Do you have an explanation? Have you also abdicated the search like I have? I have not abdicated it. I think Part of the bane of my existence is always, you know, like Sisyphus pushing a huge boulder up a hill, maybe against all odds. But I always believe that our biggest problem on earth, even in the way of peace during every conflict, let alone in the way of just idiots that don't have complex understanding of complex things yet profess to, is just communication. I think we just still haven't communicated as clear as we can. We haven't made the points as well as we can. We haven't asked the right follow-up questions. We haven't shown the right chart. We haven't kept people's attention to it long enough. Like I've often, I've always thought the biggest problem with interviewers, with journalists, with debates is lack of follow-up questions. Like you maybe ask one follow-up and then the person still isn't quite pinned down, but they're getting closer and you're like, totally next topic, let's move on. It's like, no, no, you're like two follow-ups away from pinning them from making them either hit the point where they acknowledge they're willfully being ignorant rather, or where they will have that epiphany moment and change. And I've had that happen. It takes like an hour and a half or three hours sometimes. Like I had an episode of my podcast back in the day where hour and a half in, I convinced a friend of mine to stop supporting Trump and to support Hillary back in that, that campaign. But very sadly, he told me years later, he still ended up voting for Trump, even though live in the conversation, he could not defend it. Live in the conversation, he couldn't. He admitted that my points were more logical and made more sense and that he was seeing it incorrectly. And then and then still went a couple of weeks later and voted despite the realization. So that is disheartening for sure. But people's minds have been changed. Neo-Nazis have become people who fight against such ideology. There's former Hamas members, leaders, sons of founders that are now vehemently speaking against and trying to educate. So I think it's certainly possible. It's just not frequent. But if there's any hope that can be taken from the onslaught of social media that is perpetuating bad ideas so quickly... It's that maybe also with little shifts in the algorithms, with maybe some regulation that focuses on positive shifts and not on disinformation and polarization, maybe good ideas can spread widely more quickly and we might have a hope to undo some of this. 
but like I said, I'm an eternal optimist and, uh, you know, I'm not the one making the actual forecasts for the future. I just hope. That forks me away from that second question, but I'm happy. <laughs> we'll come back to that one. But I love what you said about the algorithm and regulation. And maybe that would be a response to a question that I wanted to ask. I'll jump into that. We're kind of in a media diaspora as Jews right now. And I'll explain. We seem to have been thrown out of mainstream media, New York Times, Washington Post. They don't really have our back. As we mentioned earlier, we both find ourselves kind of agreeing with Fox News sometimes. TikTok, you know, how are you going to compete with the Bethany's and their propaganda videos of, you know, pro Hamas, sorry, pro Palestinian, um, video content and like a 15 second to like cram all that history and nuance in. And, and I you take people's opinions with a real grain of salt when they're lip syncing it. <laughs> but for those who are, it's really effective with the younger generations, these TikTok videos. And then there's this real question, like maybe do the Jew, do we need something in between YouTube and TikTok? Is there, you really get videos. You, as I mentioned in your bio and you corrected me, um, you have over 500 million views for your video content online. So I feel like of anyone that I've met or spoken to, you get online video content. And what's what could be a possible way of dealing with these short videos? Is it more short videos? Is it more long form videos? Is it getting people away from the short form videos? Is it a new format that we don't know about yet or that we haven't created yet? That's a good question. I do hope there's a new format we haven't yet created. I hope there's some thing that can be with both verified information but also, um, you know, without the intent to divide, if something's intending to divide, maybe it gets, you know, flagged in an algorithm. But I have a lot of, you know, views in total, including a lot of my Young Turks videos, but many of them are, you know, debates that are on both sides. And even on my own channels, I probably to my own detriment, I just don't abandon longer form. So I do some short form. And some of those have been the things that have gone big, but some of the things that have gone big are longer. Generally, though, like you said, the, the majority of people on social media are not really getting their content for more thought out, longer things. And so I think we're still speaking to some degree into silos, which is why I don't, at the very least, give up the channels that I have. Like people asking me, you know, a lot, I've gotten this question since the war started, is why do you still work at a network that is calling the defense of your own people's need to exist and to have one safe haven in this world and being carried out carefully, tragically, of course, but carefully as can be in the only way that seems plausible or possible to take on a very entrenched, very crafty, creepy, horrible terrorist group and having an opportunity to be one of the, one of the only voices that are countering that why would you walk away? Why would you give up that opportunity and go speak further into your own echo chamber? I want to, even at the cost of having people by the thousands turning on me and saying, I used to love you and now I hate you. I can't listen to you. Get them off the air. Oh, good job, genocide, Ben. Okay, baby killer, way to endorse baby killing. Um, just insane, malinformed, malintended, closed-minded commentary even in the face of Jenk, whose network it is, saying, please 
listen to Ben. He has a different opinion than I do, but that's important. That's why we have him here. And some do listen to that, and then some still don't. But I'm not going to walk away, if at all possible, from the opportunity to be a countervailing force and to try whatever I can do to to change some minds or at least keep them from becoming radicalized too far to the other side or too extreme on the other side. Plus, clearly I'm a masochist as well. So, It's so important about turning away from the tendency to want to go into an echo chamber, especially, I, I don't know if you've encountered this at all, either personally or friends of yours, but a lot of pro-Israeli content has been kind of shadow banned on social media. And also the moderation, the, the, not the moderation, the lack of moderation of comments has been a subject that we've brought up quite a bit on the show. New York Times hasn't said, oh, you know, Meta's doing a bad job at moderating Instagram comments. Why don't we shut it down and not give people the opportunity to comment on our Instagram posts? Because they become a cesspool for hateful speech. Have you experienced any of this at all? Yeah. I mean, I'm in a Instagram group of people who have been shadow banned and throttled and, you know, my Rebel HQ videos for the Young Turks that I've been doing mostly on this topic since the war began are getting the tiniest fraction of views that they used to get. That's on YouTube. I haven't looked at the Facebook numbers there. Some of my stuff does okay on Instagram. Some doesn't. I was banned from going live, though, for a month for a very strange reason. It's finally lifted at a time when I really wanted and needed to be going live to have these more nuanced conversations. And... um but as far as comment moderation, I actually, I mean, I don't, I haven't thought deeply into it. So correct me if you, why you think I'm wrong, but I don't ever turn off my comments. I let all comments live. Rarely do I ever delete a comment because I want the hate out in the open. I want the ignorance out in the open. I want the ability to counter it. I want the ability of my followers to counter it for us um, and fight these fights because I think. If the you know sunlight's the best disinfectant, other than bleach, of course, we should all drink bleach, according to President Trump, to get rid of anything inside of your system. For idiots listening, this is that's a joke. Um, and uh, I just like to see it because I don't like to see it, but I think we need to see it. I wouldn't have thought that back when we were still in an era with truth being sort of a standard bearer, but now that we are in what the world far too easily conceded the concept of truth into this post-truth era, a phrase that makes me sick to my stomach, that we just seeded truth into the good night. But if we're going to be there, I at least want to see what people are saying to have some chance to counter it in real time. Um, I, you know, I think the greatest, the two greatest effects of the Trump era, and greatest meaning most impactful, not good, great, horrible, great, is... The concept of democracy is just being thrown by the wayside so easily. It's crazy how fragile it ends up being. A man who's literally trying actively and succeeding at tearing down democracy and is now leading in the polls yet again to finish the job. And if there was even a possibility of being more negatively effective than that, he's done that with truth, like I just mentioned. And the concept of truth has like been so far eroded further by him that was initiated by 
a lot of alt-right media and even mainstream right media during the last many years. And then a third horrible detrimental effect is he unleashed and empowered so many millions and probably billions around the globe of haters, of hatred, of racists, of of bigots, of misogynists, of of terrible ideologies empowered and understood and espoused by terrible, ignorant people. And so that's out there now. So if it's going to be out there, I at least want to know where my enemies are coming from and where my uh, potential threats are. There was speculation years. I used to be funny. <laughs> I used to be funny pre-October 7th. Help! <laughs> so I'll go back to the... Co- I'll I'll do the comedy question now, but I, sure. I, I do want to talk to you about like, you know, we put people like Trump on the air or in the case of Israel, Itamar Ben-Gvir. One of the controversies was why did Israeli news interview him. You know, a lot of people on the left are like, he wouldn't have gained so much popularity if he didn't have airtime or Trump back in the day. Remember with the whole birther controversy and the oh, tea, yeah, parter, yeah. tea party and pre office. I agree. When someone's in office, you have to cover them. Ben Gavir is in office, but before he was in office, they were giving him airtime. And there's this question that we keep coming back to on the show of like, you know, these panels, like peers will have, people on, on his panels that are just saying non-truths. And then the other person has to spend like half of the time kind of combating the non-truths. Do you have any, I like jokingly asked some of our guests, like if there were these panel shows during world war two, do you think like Goebbels <laughs> would have been invited on the air? For sure. Right. I mean, for sure. You know, I'm, I, I it doesn't seem Hamas has the most outwardly open, you know, PR wing, they have amazing propaganda that they're crushing it with, but you don't see a lot of Hamas spokespeople doing interviews, but if they were available, they would be. Um, certainly would be. They have people certainly in cred- that refuse to condemn October 7th on these panels constantly. So you'd certainly have people that would say, oh, I don't know, the Nazis have some good points and it seems legitimate and the Jews are really becoming a problem. Of course that would be on the air. Of course. Truth also relates to comedy in such a way. I loved in your special that you were like, people always like to, you know, say after they were really drunk and they said some stuff like, oh, I didn't mean it. I was drunk. But it's like, (laughs) no, actually, you definitely said the stuff that you really feel on the inside. Like you were that drunk. You were just too sober to say. You were too afraid to say in in real life, in normal sober life. You're literally uninhibited now. So you're saying things. Nobody makes up (laughs) imaginary thoughts they didn't have in their head before they're they're drunk. They say the the unvarnished truth. Exactly. Which reminds me when this podcast is done, I would love to roll a joint while I have a hard surface here in your apartment, if I may. Yeah, for sure. Oh, <laughs> I wanted to tell you, I'm so happy you brought that up in your special. You were, you were, I think you said in, during Corona, like people were all like germ phobic and mm-hmm. like not sharing cups, but then, you know, everyone would go outside and like a joint gets passed. Or just in life, even pre-corona. People True. are just afraid of sharing cups, but then they'll pass a joint in a circle of 16 people and suck on the same soggy wet paper. So I wanted to share with you that in Israel, we, we came up with a patent, you know, um, people were like using the lighter to burn mm. the the part you like suck the inhale the joint in uh-huh. from, you know, to kind of like sterilize it. So I was like, ooh, mention that to Ben. That's like a good little germ trick. I've seen that move. I've done that move. But has there ever been a study whether if it's being lit short enough that it's not lighting the thing on fire 
is it really killing the germ or is it just warming the germ and making it more transmissible? Who knows? Uh, that that kind of reminds me of how I've been here for 13 years and I people talk to me in Celsius and I still am just like, I, that doesn't, I don't even know what that means. You know, talk to me in Fahrenheit. That'll, that'll really say something. As Jews, we've always been laughing through our pain and persecution. If there's any sort of comedy here, what is it? You know, comedy is kind of, it, it hits at these points of truth and then they emerge. Is there even an inappropriate sort of joke that comes to mind for you or some truth? Sure. I've just written a bunch of it. You know, I just performed it last night. I I headlined uh, Funny Monday last night with uh, Shahar Hassan and Yohai Sponder at uh, Bar Giora. And um, it was incredible. I did, you know, 35 minutes and probably 10 minutes of that was about the war and about everything happening lately. I finally am starting to find the the funnier way to interpret some of this, so sure. Contradictory, the Palestinian side says all these contradictory things. They say, listen, please, the, the Israeli control of Gaza has to stop. Let us be our own land. Let us do our own thing. Also, please give us just food, water, electricity, fuel. That's it. We need to be left alone except for those five things. Aside from those five things, they really are fine. You know, they didn't have anything to do with it other than all the things where, where they do have to do with it. So, you know, it's really quite the price that Israel is paying by graciously, I think, separating blanketly all Gazan civilians from Hamas because it's opening the nation up literally to the worst possible accusations to a criminal court proceed at the international court at the Hague of accusations of genocide. Whereas if from the beginning of the war, it was presented as this is a war with Gaza because the territory of Gaza has declared war on us, then you couldn't say any innocent civilians were killed. And then there would be no accusations really coming towards Israel. And we decided to take on the chin, the brunt of all of this for the sake of saving innocent people and saving the ones who are truly innocent or are truly being asked to harbor weapons against their will or are stuck in a situation where they're educated that way from birth essentially and don't have choice. And that I think just speaks so nobly and beautifully to the Israeli people and to the Israeli nation to how much we really want just to eradicate the evil ideology, the ideology of annihilation and destruction and destroying the one safe Jewish homeland on the planet, so much so that we are willing to take every sling and arrow and bit of blood libel upon ourselves to try to still say we believe in the Palestinian population more broadly because we believe everybody truly is as and Frank said, good at heart and want the same things. And so we hold on to that hope, even despite decades and decades and decades of rejecting peace agreements and trying to live side by side and enduring rocket attacks and terrorist attacks and explosions and cafes blowing up. And then October 7th, taking that to the nth degree, we still say our fight's not with the innocent people of Gaza and we should stick by that because it's so heartbreaking what's happening over there but also 
let's talk facts and talk reality. And it's not like everybody who's not officially a member of Hamas is completely innocent either. They're also wearing true. civilian clothes, which is a clear violation of all the rules of law, uh, rules of war. And on October 7th, and, and even I hear now sometimes dressing up as IDF soldiers. Yes, that's correct. And it's also the IDF's fault to some degree that the uniform is very basic. There's not really a lot of patches. It's like a green long sleeve shirt. It's pretty easy to reproduce that. Well, maybe they'll be changing it now afterwards. Get some sewn in patches, these Velcro patches. I mean, anybody can Velcro on a patch. Maybe also those falafel on the side, you know? You want a falafel ball on the shoulder. <laughs> that's, but you know, that, that's one of the... In the middle of war, the... you're going to get hungry and you're going to munch on your shoulder and then it's <laughs> the whole gig is up. That's one of the ranks, you know, on the uniform. One of the ranks is falafel? Yeah. Falafel rank? Yeah. Is that the, the, the army cook or is that just... No, no. My father served in two wars and he had some falafels and I was like, what do you mean, dad? Like, <laughs> you have like, you had falafel, ball, like the food? And he was like, yes, like the food. Like a picture of it on a patch? Like a little ball. Okay, now I'm turning on the Israeli people. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I've flipped. Today on Solid Gold, I owe you a story. You do. I can't believe that you were threatening not to share part two of last week's. I mean, I'm, I've been on the edge of my seat for over a week, Dor. Yeah. Where were we? Basketball court, fourth quarter. You play like three minutes a game. You're there for the good vibes. You're there, you know, for the company. Ah, okay. Yeah. You're very tall. I guess that's why they picked you. I'm very tall, but I'm very loser at this moment. And I tell you, I think there was like 10 seconds, okay? It was like the last... Wait, you guys were like on defense? It was like no, the very the opposite, end of the game? The oh, opposite. you were like on the offense. It was like the last 10 seconds of the game. Your team's like drilling down to the exactly. other side of the court. So then I found myself on the court. So I, I'm, I'm literally standing in the right corner. Like I try to hide myself there. Like, you know, that no one will see me. I, I just don't want to the ball. I, I don't want the pressure. I just want to, it all disappeared. And then the leader of the team, number six, his name is Aran. He take the ball and he's like, <laughs> It's going through the basket and then like literally all the defense, five players is on him, you know? And he's like, I don't know what how, how it happened, but he throw me the ball. He passed the ball to he you? He passed the ball. And then I holding the ball. And then this is like two seconds. The other team is like leading by one point. So if I if I score it, we win. Okay? I'm there with the ball and I'm looking at the basket and I'm like I throw it out of my hand and, and the time is like, it's freezing, you know, it's all like slow motion and like, I, I see on the bench like the, the coach and my my friends like, what, like what's <laughs> happening do? And then like on the other side, on the, on the crowd, like the hardest girl in my class, like maybe finally I will notice this, this clumsy guy. And, and everybody, like my parents, and, and the time is like froze, okay? And then like the ball is there on the air. Airball, I didn't, it didn't touch the, 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 the ring even. Then I quit basketball and start doing podcasting. 
Visit ZavJewelry.com for gold body jewelry and use discount code DOOR24 for an additional 35% off your entire order. And if you want body jewelry, but you don't have any piercings and you don't feel like getting one now, no problem. Really, no piercing, no problem. Visit ZavJewelry.com today and check out their wide selection for pierced and non-pierced people alike. So many people haven't seen the video of atrocities. I personally won't see it. I can't, I can't further traumatize myself. I won't. I've seen it. Do you think the people that are your colleagues on the Young Turks have seen it? Do you think a lot of people that are, I, I think Piers in one of his interviews like a month ago admitted on air kind of in the midst of a conversation that he has not seen it. And I found myself to be very surprised by that. There's a big debate that's going on here since day one of should we release it more widely? And, you know, in Judaism, we have such respect for the sanctity of human life. Um, and there's a real dilemma about how widely it should be distributed. And hearing you speak now about, you know, how do we, the Hamas telegram channel and the things that people believe. And I wonder if we should be more widely distributing it. And, and I also wonder to myself whether it's kind of morally reprehensible for journalists to be so anti-Israel and everything Israel's been doing and to kind of been engaging in the denial of the October 7th attacks without themselves having seen the video. Do you have anything that you'd like to say on that? Yeah, I do think it needs to be spread much more widely. I do think it's irresponsible for journalists to speak so aggressively about this without having seen it. I did invite Jenk to the screening. He wasn't able to make that one, but I think he he would want to see it. Um, I don't know if that's true of everybody over there, but I, I know at least he's expressed he's willing to see it. But also, you know, it's not something that, like you said, the Jewish people are used to having to do, nor should they have, you know, be comfortable with this. But I think not only does it need to be spread more widely, it still was edited with restraint. It still was put together without showing the worst of the atrocities that I have heard that they have, of course, on camera and just didn't put in there out of respect for the deceased and respect for the abused and attacked. And I only say that because we see unfiltered, unedited in real time every day on the other side, very, very sad imagery that are very hard to deal with. And it makes me, when I see those things, feel so sad for the innocent lives lost and for the people that are going through such horrible suffering and people do need to see that it was even worse what was done on October 7th and the video is the worst thing I've ever seen all put together in one but it still isn't as graphic as what I see on the other side because of restraint and that's saying a lot because there are scenes in it where I saw a man beheaded. He was already dead and then he was beheaded, which somehow made it easier to see. I saw completely burned bodies. 
but you don't see them being burned. You don't see the spark being lit. So seeing things after the fact are somehow not as visceral as seeing a baby dying in the moment or having just died and the anguish on the face of the parent. And I can't believe we're living in a reality when where these are things I just had to say out loud. These are things I had to witness and then still say it should be worse. We are living in very backward times, but unfortunately the battle of hearts and minds through social media, you, if you want to keep those hearts and minds on the side of morality that I believe the Israeli side has, you really kind of have to play their game more or you have to be comfortable losing that war of ideas. And I'm not comfortable with either, but I think the better choice is to have to sadly stoop to that level just to show people this is not as one-sided as they think. In our last segment, I'll ask you about your trip here. As it winds down, you fly out tomorrow night. You've been here for over a week. and It'll be 10 days when all's said and done. Wow. And you've been, I think, I don't even think, I know. I've barely left Tel Aviv since October 5th, and my car battery drained out. I haven't even replaced it. And you've been up and down and east and west. And Is there anything that you'd like to share from this trip? Has it changed your perspective? Are there any highlights that you'd like to share? The trip has been incredible. You know, thank thank you to Maccabee Task Force for having taken us to such an incredible wide array of both Israeli culture and much more so just all of the intricacies of this conflict and and the areas affected by October 7th and since. You know, we went on the in the south, we went to Kibbutz Be'eri and Kisufim who were horribly horribly attacked and burned and so many deaths and kidnappings at these places. And we went to the Raim military base where soldiers were attacked and killed and and um, saw the remnants of that um, while we heard the explosions of artillery being shot into Gaza as the IDF's campaign to try to eradicate this evil is underway. We went to the north where we saw exactly where Hezbollah has been launching missiles on a you know brewing second front um, and trying to distract and take away uh, Israel's ability to fight in the south um, to whatever degree they can. We um, went to the Nova exhibit where I got this sweatshirt um, and saw the burnt and charred cars with the worst smell I've ever smelt in my life and and seeing the porta potties that with bullet holes in them and the stage and the stickers of people who've died and letters from their loved ones and the shoes and the, you know, I'm a burner. I go to Burning Man and festivals like this. I've been to Midburn in Israel, which is very near where Nova was. And, and seeing the fur, the faux fur jackets on the, of the people that had to flee for their lives and so many lives were lost and so many were taken hostage there and met with leaders of the Knesset, Israel's parliament and asked them the tough questions and gone to 
speak with hostage families and who still don't know if their loved ones will ever come back, let alone if they're alive, and hostage square and see the impactful, huge, long dinner table set for in honor of all of the hostages who were taken and being here on 100 days since um, October 7th happened. And, you know, I've really tried as best we can to dive into both sides, and I still have more work to do on that. Tomorrow I'm going to Akko to see the community of Muslims and Jews living together in relative harmony or completely in harmony. And um, I went into the West Bank even during this trip and to an IDF base and then to a perch above where we had to put on a helmet and flak jacket to make sure we weren't killed by snipers trying to take out the IDF and vice versa. Then there's Israeli snipers that are sitting there on that same perch, you know, ready to do the same back if any incoming fire comes in. But again, key difference. If the fire comes in, you retaliate, not initiating such a thing. And, you know, it's going to disappoint a lot of the followers of the Young Turks. It's going to disappoint a lot of my um, far-left friends who are I kept saying, well, before I come here, make sure you see both sides. Make sure, Try to go into Gaza. I've tried. You can't get into Gaza right now. It's very dangerous because it's a war zone completely. I've just truly seen how much this has deeply affected the nation, everybody here, how, and in in spite of that, how much Israelis and even the IDF soldiers I've spoken with, the IDF battalion commander that I spoke with off the record for over an hour and asked every hard question, how much humanity is centered in all of it, how much it pains them to go in and have to carry out an operation against a father when his children are there knowing that they're taking their father away. And it just seems so clear to me that it is done out of lack of options, out of necessity, and it's going to disappoint these people because they send me every day the horrors coming out of the human toll of the Gazan civilians, and it crushes me to see that every day, and I make sure that I follow accounts on that side. I just actually joined like a Hamas uh, telegram channel or WhatsApp channel to get in real time what they're posting and, and distributing, um, trying to get literally information from every aspect of this conflict, and I feel as though I need to be able to deal with seeing the tragedy and loss of life, like a comedian should, oh boy, um, if I'm going to advocate for a war effort that is taking innocent life, I don't want to be removed from the pain of that on the other side. And it's going to upset them because they are going to think that I'm being hardened in being callous toward the loss of life on that side. And it's not it at all. I feel heavier than I already felt so heavy before I came here. And that's just because I've been eating enormous meals during this trip as well. And every meal comes with like 40 pre-meal salads and baba ganoushes and hummuses that have literally probably gained me 10 pounds in these 10 days. I feel so much heavier knowing that that's going on so close to what, to where I am and to where all of you live. And I just am more pained by the reality of war because, you know, people said, oh, you're doing a comedy show while you're, your troops are killing people right over the border. And yeah, because life has to continue because we were attacked on October 7th does not mean our lives stop in every aspect, even though they have in most. 
in many aspects, but you have to try to maintain some sense of normalcy as much as you can while never losing sight of what's going on on the other side of a border very close to here. But it is what it is. There is no way to stop this from happening again without doing that. And I just go back over and over again, and I'm more convinced than ever that anyone who truly wants this death to stop, they need to put international pressure and all of their social media pressure of all of their followings on Hamas to lay down their weapons and to return the hostages and more broadly on the day after the war or during the war to use this moment of momentum to demand that the Muslim world reject once and for all radical Islamic fundamentalism as an acceptable ideology, not just from Hamas, but from Palestinian Islamic Jihad, from Hezbollah, from the Houthis in Yemen, and from their great funder, the Islamic Republic of Iran that funds all of this so that they can continue their own genocidal aims of eradicating the Jewish people from the world and then the rest of Western countries from the world. It's just the most insane, self-hating, ignorant position to think that that's an equally acceptable philosophy. It's not liberal. It's not open-minded or progressive to accept all opinions when one of those opinions is you shouldn't be able to have that opinion. The only opinion that should ever be stifled and removed from this earth is that does not allow everyone else to live and to be and to live in safety and harmony and peace. And sadly, we have not evolved enough as a species where sometimes you don't need to resort to war to remove that. You do still sometimes when you're pushed to the very limits. And to not understand that is naive and it's incorrect and it's dangerous. And being here in Israel, it's just so much more clear when already two of the days I've been here, there have been rocket attacks somewhat near, you know, not exactly where I've been, but in the cities where I am. And to know how much you've told me, Amy, that you've been having to run to the safe room of your neighbors and that they're the only one on the block. And so when they leave town for a day, you have to stay so you can let your neighbors in to a safe room. And that's the reality of life here, even during quote unquote peacetime. And enough of that already. This is real people. This is their real lives. And it's so tragic that life is lost in trying to eradicate it. But would you rather it stick around forever and this continues forever? So those that don't have the reality of advocating for not just a blanket ceasefire, but for Hamas to lay down its weapons, for the Palestinian people to reject any sort of genocidal intended leadership going forward, they are the ones who are demanding this death and destruction continue forever. Because for an obvious 100% fact that nobody can refute, if Israel is made to stop this war effort with Hamas or Palestinian Islamic Jihad still in power, just means they will regroup, they will divert more aid, they will enrich their own pockets more, and they will plan their next attacks, and they will carry out another attack, and they will kill more Jews, and Israel will respond by killing even more Palestinians. And so if that's the side they are on, they are calling for the murder of both groups forever. This has to stop eventually, and sometimes stopping an ideology 
and its capabilities of carrying out its intent is very messy and very tragic. But we live in the real world. Ben, thank you so much for coming in to meet with us today. Thank you for coming to Israel. Thank you for doing incredibly hard things here, there. I know that you're going to go back and you're going to keep doing this. I'm speechless, frankly. Combination of comedy and wit and sentiment. And thank you for everything you're doing. I really hope to see you here again soon, even as soon as this year at a time of peace. No, I would love that. And thank you for your kind words, but I just don't feel I even have a choice. It's just reflexively what I felt called to do when all this started happening and seeing the extent of it, um, I felt I had to combat it as best I can. It's been a lot, but sometimes life dictates for you what you have to do. So thank you for the kind words, but I'm just trying to do a little bit of my part. And I do so much hope to come back during peace as soon as possible. Um, let's pray for that. Let's hope for that. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. If this is your first time listening to October 7th, Emotionally Raw coverage, we're two neighbors in South Tel Aviv who met for the first time on October 7th, sheltering at a mutual friend's place. We started recording that night. Like our show name suggests, this is raw emotional coverage. This is us grappling with the complex emotions of living in Israel in the midst of the ongoing war. And the show's changed quite a bit since we started. We invite you to listen to episode zero, which is kind of like our disclaimer, as well as our special show reel, episode 21. Jam-packed with carefully curated highlights from the first month, it's a chance to discover anew our wild, unfiltered journey. Episode 32 marks the start of what some of our loyal listeners have been referring to as season two. And it features interviews with special guests. We're evolving all the time and we're really grateful to you for being here, keeping an open mind and for walking with us on this wild journey. If you enjoyed this and you want to stay connected, there's a few ways you can do that. We have an Instagram page, a YouTube channel, a Patreon account, and even an, an email account, all with the handle October 7th, the podcast. The email is October 7th, the podcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. Even if it's just to say hi, or to tell us what you think, or to tell us that you disagree, or whatever. We really love hearing from our listeners, and your feedback means the world to us. Yudashema Podcasts, your home for podcasts. Maya Schlesinger, Jonathan Gall, our very special guest, Ben Glebe, who you can follow on Instagram at Ben Glebe, that's B-E-N-G-L-E-I-B, over on Instagram. Thank you to Door Comet. I'm Amy Sapan. Stay safe and stay tuned. <laughs>